Palm Sunday. Pretty interesting, isn't it? 1990 years ago was the first Palm Sunday when Jesus came into Jerusalem. 1990 years. Do you know a day with the Lord is like a thousand years? A thousand years is like a day. And God's dealing with men is seven days. Everything throughout the whole Bible is on this seven-day deal. Well, we know the last day or the last thousand years is the millennial reign of Christ. But right now, we are at the end of the two days of the church age. We're very close to the return of Jesus in the rapture of the church. You know, we're about to go to a seven-year party. And uh, it won't be a party on the earth, uh, but it will be for us. But what that does is that comforts my heart to know that I'm about to go from faith to sight. But it also, it doesn't make me think about escaping, right? It makes me think about accelerating. So I just want to tell you today, you know, like this worship team that was up here, what an honor it is. Think about the position that they have and God has placed gifts within them to lead God's people in worship. I think of the honor. Think about yourself. God has literally made you worthy to be a partaker of all the inheritance in the saints in light. Isn't that amazing? He made you worthy. So when I look at Palm Sunday, and you know, I'm just believing God for utterance because I've got so much in my heart. Because to talk about Palm Sunday... It's a very historical thing. It literally marks in Daniel's 70, his 70 sets of years or 490 years, this prophecy that God says, I have 490 prophetic years to deal with my people Israel. And when Jesus literally 1990 years ago was coming into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. He literally, literally, it stopped that prophetic clock. Literally 483 years of God's dealing with the Jewish people stopped when Messiah was presented to Israel. And then the church age started and there was a pause. In other words, Everything was turned over to us as Gentiles, the church. And now we've been going through this church age where we have been just proclaiming the grace of God, that you could be made righteous with the very righteousness of God just by simply believing what God says. It's amazing. We understand so clearly that what the world calls Easter, what we call the resurrection, is so powerful because it represents Jesus taking our place. He was made sin so that you and I would be made the very righteousness of Almighty God. He was made sick so that we could walk and, and receive the healing power of God and be healed and walk in health. He was made poor so that we, through his poverty on the cross, would be made rich, that the blessing of Abraham, that full and abundant supply, would be taken care of. On the cross at Calvary, everything was provided for us. So I want to talk a little bit about the historical end of this, but then I want to get into some real truths, some, some things that this day represents, because it's really... Do you realize how radical your faith is? Amen. We are like, oh, yes, we are like off the chart radical. Christianity is so radical compared to every other religion, every other ideology in the world. Do you know that every religion, you know, we've got a few religions. We've got Judaism that deals with a man, Abraham, right? We've got... We've got the Muslim faith that deals with Muhammad. We've got the Buddhist faith that deals with Buddha. All the rest, Hinduism, all the rest of these ideologies and what the world calls religions, they all deal with philosophies and thinking, but all of them are exactly the same. 
They're exactly the same. It's, it's man trying to reach heaven, trying to, uh, or if you're in some of these ideologies, trying to do this or do that to be good enough so that I could reach perfection, so that I could reach nirvana or whatever we call it, so that I could attain this spiritual thing, this spiritual enlightenment. But only Christianity is not about us doing something to be accepted by a holy God or to reach some perfection, which all of this other, all the other religions and everything, it just totally feeds the self-centeredness in man. It's all about me. I'm the center. But Christianity is not like that at all. It's radical. It's just so radical because this is about God coming after us. I mean, you look at you look at Bethlehem. You look at the incarnation when Jesus, the Creator of all things, the God of heaven, He unclothed Himself with His godly attributes, and He clothed Himself in flesh and became the God Man, and He came to Earth for us. It's amazing. Then you have Palm Sunday. What's he doing there? He is coming to his people. He is coming as the Messiah. He's coming to them. In the rapture of the church, guess what? He's coming for us. Isn't that amazing? In the second coming, guess what he's doing? He's coming back to set up his kingdom. He's always coming. You have to see that. What am I saying? My beloved in the Song of Solomon, my beloved is mine. I know that. And that's why I can say, and I'm him. I'm his. I love him because he first loved me. So the message of Palm Sunday is, behold, your king comes. He came looking for you. He loves you. He loves those people that you know in life that don't know him. He loves the atheist. He loves everyone so much that he came and died for them. So let's talk about this a little bit. You ready? Hallelujah. In Daniel chapter 9, talking about Daniel's prophecy. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, I'm going to get a little prophetic, end time prophetic. Now don't worry. You won't be able to probably get all this and write it down, so you'll have to go listen to this again a little bit, but that's okay. It won't hurt you. Some people come up to me and go, Pastor, I can't get you out of my ear. I listen to you all the time, right? That's funny. It's not my fault, right? But I'm sure glad God hooked us up together. I would like to say that you're more blessed than me, but I know better. Because of you, I'm so blessed. You spur me on. You create hunger in me that you have no idea. When I see your faces, I love you so much because we're brothers. And the supply that you bring enables the Spirit of God to flow and move so that we're all blessed. But in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it says this. So now, this is what's happening. Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, is coming to Daniel And he's saying to him, I want you to understand something. And this is what it is. Seventy weeks. It's the Hebrew word shabuah. It means seven. In other words, it means 70 weeks of years or 490 years are determined upon thy people. Talking about Israel, the Jewish people. 490 prophetic years and upon the holy city, Jerusalem. So Daniel is is being told by Gabriel, I want you to understand that God has established for the Jewish people and for Jerusalem 490 prophetic years. Now the Jews, they have a lunar calendar. 
It's not 365 days, it's 360 days. Verse 25, know therefore and understand. In other words, Daniel is, is God wants him to know and to understand this. I wonder how much more those of us living, we know that God wants us to know and understand this because God said, listen, I'm commanding you to know the season of my return. We, don't, might, we might not know the day or the hour, but we know the season, right? That from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. In other words, 69 weeks or 69 weeks of years of 360-day years. From, and when does it start? Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, it's in, written in history on March 14th, 445 B.C. He commanded and sent the edict that Jerusalem was to be rebuilt. And that started Daniel's 70-week prophecy. And, and God says from the time that the edict goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem until the time that my son, the king of heaven, the prince, the anointed one, would come in to be presented to Jerusalem as king will be this many time, this, this long. It's a mathematical prophecy. It has a, a beginning point and an ending point. Why am I saying this? Because Palm Sunday, this is not a religious act. Oh, we might have a lot of religion going on today in places, but I'm telling you, this is real. This is truth. It's amazing. So if you take 69 years times 7, and then you times that times 360 days. So how many days from the time Artaxerxes commanded Jerusalem to be built until Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the colt, the foal of a donkey, it would be 173,880 days. Which would put that day on our calendar as April 6th, A.D. 32. So just about this time of year is when Jesus, did you notice in his earthly ministry, he'd, he, the, his father would perform healings and miracles through him. And he would say, don't tell anybody. Right? He never, he, he never was presented as king, but this day, which was prophesied that he would be presented as king, everything changed with Jesus. He's like, no, no, no. This is my day. This is on the prophetic clock. It's amazing. I'm telling you, church, you are part of something that was birthed by God. It's amazing. So we celebrate Palm Sunday, what happened April 6th of A.D. 32, on the 10th day of Nisan. Wow. An exact time. So if you go into this a little bit, and you, you back up and go, okay, so let's look at Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry would have started in the fall of about A.D. 28. Okay. Tiberius was appointed ruler in 14 AD. Jesus' earthly ministry, as it's spoken of in the Bible, started in the 15th year of Tiberius' reign, which would be AD 28. This is when Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to him. And what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins 
of the world and Jesus is baptized. When Jesus is baptized, the, the heavens open, the Spirit of God, not in the form of a dove, but like a dove, descends upon him. And Jesus literally is anointed with the Holy Ghost and even with power. The fullness of the Holy Ghost came upon him. Today, the fullness of the Holy Ghost is still upon his body. We are his body. Each of us have a measure of the Holy Spirit. All of us together have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was then tempted, right? He was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. That happened during the last fall feast, which is called the Feast of Tabernacles. It represents Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. The Feast of Tabernacles in the fall of A.D. 28 is when Jesus would have been tempted in the wilderness. So now if you go three and a half years from when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, you would be at Passover, which is literally right before Jesus was crucified in A.D. 32. It would have been the fourth Passover in Jesus' earthly ministry. So now let's talk about this story. We are on a prophetic time clock. Everything stopped. Why will we not go through the tribulation? Well, one reason is because that 490 years of determined time was not for the church. It was for Israel. You're going to see in the Ezekiel 38 war, which is everything's in place right now. Everything for the first time. I mean, when you study Bible prophecy, it's, it's kind of weird, actually, because we've been talking for a while about, well, I think this might happen, and we don't say that anymore. It's like, okay, these are the nations. They're all there. This is what's happening. It's all ready to blow up. But God is going to completely protect Israel. Right? The church will be out of here before then. Everything reverts back. And that's how God has a legal right to completely protect Israel. Right? Right now, you and I, we have protection. As New Testament believers, we've been given authority in the name of Jesus. You have authority to keep yourself safe. You have authority that as you speak the word of God, listen, the angel of the Lord will protect you. He'll provide for you everything. We have authority in the earth. These world systems, the, the governments and everything, they don't have the authority. They have some power to make laws, but they don't have authority. And that's why I believe we have prayed. God, right? We, we have humbled ourselves. We've turned from our wicked ways. We've sought his face. Now, I'm not talking about every believer, but there's a remnant. And we know that God has heard from heaven and God is working and God is healing our land. Right? Now we know there's a sovereign prophetic deal happening. But while we're here, I say let's just be free. When agendas and, and all this stuff is, is, is preached uh, uh, through the secular media, you know, like what Leanne was saying, oh, here comes the coronavirus again. Why don't we say no? Right. While we're here, right? Do we have that authority? Yes, in the name of Jesus, and he will back that up. So Matthew chapter 21, let's start, verse 1. Let's talk about Palm Sunday. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, when Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village, in other words, go into Bethpage, opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Now this is in every gospel account, only Matthew, which, I mean, Matthew was a tax collector, a numbers freak, Right? I mean, he had to be really good with numbers. So Matthew is very, very detailed in, in his writings. Said, and you'll find a colt with her. The only one that mentions the colt 
So Jesus sends two of his disciples to bring a donkey and then the colt, the foal of a donkey, the, the, the younger donkey, the mother and the, the younger donkey, right? This is important when you realize because there's one thing about Palm Sunday. Jesus came in a way that they didn't expect. And we need to know this because God will move in your life and in my life in ways we don't expect. Right? His ways are not our ways. They're higher. But he reveals them by his spirit. So sometimes God will say, I want you save money for five years and God just all of a sudden you're minding your own business you about got this money to get what you're believing God for and God will go give all that money away you're looking for a job and God will say take that job where you make less go here live here you know marry this person I mean God's ways so we have to know from Palm Sunday it's even an example we don't know what it's like to be under tyranny but Rome was controlling Israel. These were not a free people. Think of the wounds they suffered. They were treated like dogs. They would call, they would call everyone but a Jew a dog, and the Romans would call them a dog. And they were waiting for their king. The Messiah was prophesied. And they were waiting. In their mind, he's coming, and he's going to kick Rome's butt, and we're going to be free. They didn't know he was coming first as a lamb, not as they expected. It says, and, he, and Jesus said, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. So probably Jesus was at Lazarus' home in Bethany, and there was a caravan road that ran from Jericho down to Jerusalem. It would have been right there. So if you picture, I've, I've stood on the Mount of Olives. It's a, it's a grave site right now, but boy, does it move you. You know, and you see the eastern gate. This is kind of right in the area where this all would have happened. Verse 4, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying. Now what prophet? The prophet is Zechariah. The prophecy that he's going to quote now is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. But how's he coming? Lowly. This means humble in the Greek. It means meek. You could translate this word, what is humility and meekness? Literally in the Greek, it is power under perfect control. All the power of God is in Jesus, but he's coming humbly. And he's sitting, sitting on a donkey. First of all, you're going, hmm. But no, no, don't, don't miss. He wasn't sitting on the mother. He was sitting on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why did they bring both? Well, because the colt, would be really nervous to be separated from the mother. So no doubt the mother was there beside the colt so that it would be calm. No doubt Jesus, I mean, if you could picture this, he's on the colt of a donkey. Could you imagine if I were to ride on the colt of a donkey? First of all, the donkey would be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? But let's just say, let, Pastor Edwin, stand up. Let's just say, you know, maybe not as muscular as me. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just stay with that. But look how tall. Could you imagine, okay, thank you. Could you imagine Pastor Edwin riding on the colt of a donkey? His feet might be dragging. Yeah. Might look a little kind of silly. Get the picture of this. Jesus all the power of God under perfect control. Why did he do that? Do you know the kings, when they would come into a city, they would ride a war horse. A horse would be measured by hands, but the horse the king rode on 
would be at least two to maybe up to four hands taller than all of his officers' horses. They would ride horses, war horses, that were shorter than the king's horse. Then any other military would ride horses that were a little shorter than the officers. But when a king would come, he's on, because he's the highest, but not here. Jesus is saying, I'm come. I'm on the lowest. I'm not even on a horse. I'm on a donkey. Not even a donkey. I'm on the donkey's foal. Get this picture. He didn't come as people expected. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him thereon. So let's look at this Zechariah prophecy. Zechariah 9.9. This was prophesied 400 years before this time, before April of A.D. 32. And this is the prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And then it says this. Behold, your king comes unto thee. Once again, you got to get this about Palm Sunday because this is what is happening in God dealing with you. He always comes to you. Always. He always comes to you. He's not mad at you today. When you mess up, he doesn't. See, we get this because of the self-centeredness of our flesh. We think, man, if I do good, then he's near me and he's happy with me. But if I don't do good then I, he's not near me and he's not happy with me. And that's a lie. He's here with you. He's coming. Behold, your king comes. And he is just. That means he is righteous. And having salvation. This word salvation means he has wholeness. He has deliverance. He has victory, prosperity. He has help, healing. I love that. He has health. But he comes lowly and riding on a donkey and, the, and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. Interesting. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm coming to you, but I'm not coming as you expect. Listen, when you're believing God, if God said it, He'll do it. He'll perform it. It's, it's truth. It's not subject to change. It just might not happen as you expect, but don't worry about that. And don't let Satan get you into the how. That's right. God, he's the God of the how. That's, right. That's why this is so important. Verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. So this multitude of people, they're made up, we hear from other passages of scripture, they're made up from uh, the pilgrims that were blown away when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So they heard he was coming into Jerusalem. So all these people that heard or, or witnessed this miracle was there. Pharisees were there. And all the disciples, they were coming out to meet Jesus. That's who made up this multitude. Or I should say multitudes. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed, they cried out, Hosanna, which the word Hosanna, it means to save now. They were crying out, save now to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were literally singing and crying out Psalm 118. Verse 24 through verse 26, which is a psalm that proclaims the Messiah, King. So they were literally, for the first time, proclaiming him as Jesus, the Messiah, King of Israel. And that's what it's talking about in Daniel's prophecy. The road, see this road they were on? It, it kind of comes down, it ascends up and then it comes down. And when he's in the Mount of Olives, he could see the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. 
But look at, I'm going to read Psalm 118 so you get a picture of what they were singing. In Psalm 118, verse 25, it says, Save now, I beseech thee, Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. So even the change of an economy is part of this. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Interesting. Hallelujah. So Luke's account gives us a little more detail. So you, and, and I would encourage you, just write down the scripture. Don't try to turn to them and just, just listen to this. Because in Luke 19, verse 37 through verse 40, it says, And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, in other words, he, that road ascended up, and now it's ascending down to the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Again, they're singing Psalm 118. And some of the Pharisees among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. The reason why they said that is not just because they were praising him, it's because they would know that prophecy. And they're like, oh my gosh, these people are literally worshiping and praising and they are saying that this man is the Messiah. So now they're going to Jesus, go, listen, rebuke them. That's blasphemy to say you're the Messiah. Right? And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Why? Because this was the day that Jesus was presented to his people and nothing would stop that praise. Right? If you ever go to Israel, grab a rock and bring it home with you. Because I'm telling you, that rock would have cried out. Verse 41 of Luke 19, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you at least in this day, the things which belong to your peace. But now they're hid from your eyes, for the day shall come upon thee, that your enemies shall cast a trench about thee, compass thee round and keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground. Talking about, talking about what was going to happen to them in about A.D. 70, when Titus, the Romans, came in, and they literally leveled the temple. And shall not leave thee one stone upon another. There was gold in between all of the stones of the temple. So they literally dismantled the whole thing to take the gold. Because, and, and the reason why this happened to them is because they didn't know the time of their visitation. So what do we learn from that? It is very important that you know the time of your visitation. It's amazing what we've lived in in the last five years. Actually, six years now. It's like, it's like Christians are asleep. It's people that were all in with church and all in with God just never read their Bible, just kind of live their own life, make all their plans and fill up their whole schedule with things of this life that is all passing away instead of seeking first the kingdom. It's like... Well, it's not like it's people are asleep. And this is why we pray for an awakening. We're not praying that the world awakens. No, no, the church has to wake up. That's what an awakening is. And a revival is not the, the world waking up and being revived. No, no, it's the church being revived so that we go out and we win the world to Christ so that they can now be revived and wake up, Right? So this is amazing. you got to know the time of your visitation. I'm here to tell you today that God, the time of your visitation, no, it's today. Right. Make some changes. If you're a believer today, you know what changes you've got to make. Right? You know. 
You, and you live in the inner turmoil of, I've chosen to go this way even though I, I'm, just, I'm living for myself. I, I, I'm missing the plan of God. I love you as your pastor. Those of you watching online, this is very big. You're about to go from faith, faith to sight. And when he comes, and when you hear that trumpet say, come up here, the first thing you're going to experience is the Bema seat. The judgment seat of Christ. Oh, you won't be judged for your sin because your sin's already been condemned. So don't worry about that. But this is an award ceremony. And I'm telling you, if you're living self-centered, you probably don't even know it because of pride. Most likely, though, you'll know it because of the insecurity. See, we get so stuck in self-centeredness. And and for a Christian, that inner turmoil is horrible because you just know. Listen, can you pursue business? Can you pursue natural things? Yeah, actually, if you seek first the kingdom, you'll go a lot further. But there won't be any toil with it. It becomes, it becomes worship. It becomes refreshing. So important. Look at what it says. In John chapter 12, it talks about this. In verse 16 through verse 19, it says, These things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they then remembered they these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him on this day. For they had heard he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, when all this is going on, this is what the Pharisees said within themselves. Do you perceive how you prevail nothing? Behold, the whole world is gone after him. So let's jump back to Matthew now. Chapter 21, verse 10. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God, drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, now he's going to quote Isaiah 56, 7. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. It's real interesting in the ministry of Jesus that Jesus only healed the blind and the lame in the city of Jerusalem. Interesting. Why? Ask Jesus when you see him, right? But I'll guarantee you there's a reason. I have some ideas, but we don't have time to go into that today. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, now the children were saying, save now to the son of David. This again, they are, they are, they are literally crying out Psalm 118. Do you know Psalm 118? This was recited at the Feast of Tabernacles while they would recite it while waving palm branches. Interesting. Jesus fulfilled this feast when he went into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil for 40 days. It says here, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said unto them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? I would have loved to seen, because if you've ever met somebody that is really religious and maybe has a position and has a bunch of letters by their name, they never like hearing someone say to you, have you, have you never seen this? Have you never read this? Jesus was totally dissing on them. They were probably thinking, how dare you say, I'm a Pharisee. Right? So again, Palm Sunday, it shows us how radical our faith is. This is not a story, again, of Jerusalem coming to the Messiah. This is a story of the Messiah coming to Jerusalem. This is huge. God coming to his people. 
I love that. This is huge. This thing that we call a relationship with God goes against every fiber, even of our flesh. And this is why it enrages so many people in this earth. People either run to it to get saved or they hate it. It's amazing if you talk to an atheist. Oh, they will get so angry at a God they don't believe exists. But the reason why is it becomes, it comes against every fiber. Because man, our, this nature in our flesh, we want to be the center. So I'm going to start to say a few things that the Lord was talking to me about. If you are trying to produce good, this is what you are saying. Now how many of us have done that? Every one of us. But if you're trying to produce good, it's all about what I do. You're saying that good comes from you. In other words, you are the center. If you're trying to do things to get God to love you, then you are trying to cause God's love. You're trying to create God's love by something you do. You're trying to produce, hear me now, you're trying to, this rocked my world personally. You're trying to produce God's love by something you do. But here is the reality, and be free in this. If you could produce, if you could create God's love, then guess who you would be? God. You would be the center of the universe. Even when you get, here's a big one. Have you ever got down on yourself? As I'm speaking, I know, I, I, just that, as soon as that came out of my mouth, there are people here that you have been getting down on yourself. So remember, you love your pastor for what I'm about to say. When you get down on yourself, you are still focused on you. When you focus on how bad you are or have been, how messed up you are, guess what? Satan loves it because you're still focused on you. Man, I'm telling you, I think some people are getting it. There's freedom in this place. There's freedom here. Here's the problem with that. When you get down on yourself, and, oh, I'm so messed up, I'm, right? And what are you looking at when you do that? You're looking at your behavior instead of fixing your eyes on Jesus. The problem is, many times you're just mad at yourself because you had put yourself on this pedestal that you fell off of. And now you disappointed yourself because why? You want to be back on the pedestal. The, the major subject here is you, which ushers death into your life. You think, you actually think, I should say you, we, please, right? We all have to guard this. We think we're being humble when we get down on ourselves, while it's not humility, the focus is still on you. Humility is to be down on sin by repenting and then receiving God's grace so that you can get back and walk out who you really are. So literally, that's what's happening. If you want to really humble yourself, how do you do that truly? You repent of the sin and then draw from the grace of God so that you can walk free from it. That you could walk in the freedom whereby you've already been made free. See, why am I saying this? You have to get this right. Only God causes good. 
Only him. I don't cause it. All good things begin with God. Right? See, it has to begin with God or it's not good. There's some things in the world. There's, there's some people in the world that start foundations and will give millions and millions and millions of dollars and behind all of it, they give millions and millions of dollars to nonprofit corporations, which of course they're always on the board of. So the money comes back to them tax-free and, and there's all, I mean, I'm telling you, if it didn't start with God, it's not good. Whatever we can produce without God is not good and it's not sin. How simple can you be? See, that's amen and baby right there. Why am I saying this? Because salvation was not our idea. No gospel writer could have come up with this. The four gospels, none of them, none of them took credit. They just recorded what Jesus did. The acts of the apostles which is really the acts of the Holy Spirit. Listen, what happened in the book of Acts? Step number one, the Holy Spirit came and endued people with power, and then good stuff started happening. He's always the, the origin of it all. See, Palm Sunday is God coming to you. Think, think about this. I, I, I'm trying, this is a little bit different message, but man, I'm telling you, I, I just, I feel like it's just burning in my bones because God has freedom for us. He's got a life for you. That life that you see on the inside, you are to live it on the outside, and it's the Holy Spirit that will bring that to pass, not you. Psalm 24, I love this psalm. 24, Psalm 24, verse 7 through verse 10. We have this interaction. It says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be, lift, uh, be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. Take a moment and think about that. Now, that's a real different, this is real different. Because who's the king that they're talking about? This is not talking about earthly kings. This is talking about the king of kings. The king of the universe. See, it, do you see the interaction? Open up ye gates, and then the king of glory will come in. Talking about the king of heaven, king of the universe. The, the, the odd thing about this psalm, the thing that tilts you in your humanity is, since when do you have to let a king do anything? Because I'm sorry, if the king of heaven wants to come in, those gates can be blown into eternity. He doesn't have to have anybody lift them. But he's saying, no, the way I work is you open the gates and then I come in. It's a little different. A king in the natural does what he wants. So you need to see this. God is almighty. All good comes from God. But there's one thing that's very clear. One thing that's very clear. 
the choice to accept that and to open the gates of your heart, the door of your heart, your life, the choice is always yours. And that's where people go awry. We have a bunch of Christians who are experiencing a bunch of death when they don't have to. And they're blaming God and they're saying, why in the world is God allowing this? They don't realize they have a part to play. Now, not in every situation. Man, there's things that happen to people that they're going to have to ask Jesus when they get to heaven why that happened. But don't blame God. That's the question of Job. The question of Job is, listen, when something happens to you, now in Job's case, he opened the door. But there's some, some cases, th bad things just happen because we live in, a, we have unredeemed bodies, we live in an unredeemed world. And, and the thing is, God, the question of Job is, when you don't understand what's going on, are you still gonna trust me? Are you still gonna hang on to what you know, what I've said? But in many cases, People live their own life, they do their own thing, they don't honor God, and then things happen, and then they blame God, and they, get, and they don't go anywhere spiritually. Now, someday, when they get to heaven, they're going to go, oh, you're going to see that right after the rapture of the church, a bunch of people walking around going, oh, yeah, that makes total sense now, right? But it will always be, now I know God is truly always good. So the Messiah is coming to Jerusalem. But the disciples, they had to prepare a way for him to come. They are a part of it, in other words. See, that's the thing. The God of heaven is showing you and I, he wants to do things with us, Amen. through us. Yeah. What did they have to do? See, they're not doing it. They went and got the donkey, and Jesus sat on it and came. The people put palm branches and trees and clothes, and they praised they, they prepared, they didn't do it, but they were part of it. You go out this week, and God, I'm telling you, will be stirring you to invite people to come to church on Easter. He will be inviting you to tell people about Jesus. He will be inviting you to lay hands on the sick, to do natural things so that he can do something supernatural. You lay hands on the sick, then God heals them, right? You pray for an open door of utterance, and you just step through it and invite somebody, and then God does something supernatural in their life, and they get saved. We must receive through faith, what he's given us by his grace. So I want, I want to just take a moment with this. Save now. There, have you, you know, we always quote Psalm 107.20, but I love the 107th Psalm. The 107th Psalm has a progression four times in one chapter that you have to know. It's amazing. So check this out. Psalm 107, verse 4. The first time it's mentioned is in verse 4 through verse 8. Look at what it says. It says, They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. So that's happening. Circumstances are happening. Look at what happened now. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, number two, and he delivered them out of their distresses. So they were in a bad way, kind of like the children of Israel. Save now. Can you understand? What are we saying in the United States of America? Save us now, God. Right? I'm tired of this nonsense. Right? You got to step in. Because people are blind and they're confused. And the reason why is because God's not being glorified. Really, the real problem in America is the church. But we're figuring it out and we're starting to wake up. Look at this. They cried out, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. They cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he rebuked them. Nope, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, and he delivered them out of their distresses, 
And he led them forth by the right way that they might go into a, to a city of habitation. Now here's number three. Oh, that man. Well, actually, number one is they were in a bad way. Number two, they cried out. Number three is God delivered them. And then here is the underlying thought. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful, wonderful works to the children of men. In other words, you have a picture of a, of a people that were not being thankful. And then they went through some stuff. Then they had to call out to the Lord, but the Lord always answered them, delivered them from their trouble. But then God's going, man, I just wish you guys would always praise me for my goodness. Then you jump down to verse 11 through verse 15. Because they rebelled against the words of God and contend the counsel of the most, or contempt the, contemned the counsel of the Most High, therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. But then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands in asunder. Verse 15, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. You're starting to get a feeling that if they would always just praise the Lord for his goodness, they wouldn't go through some things. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. As if that's not enough, go to verse 18 through verse 21. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death, but then they draw near to the gates of death. That means literally they're about to die, and they call, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I remember when I first saw this, I'm like, oh my gosh, God, I'm seeing it. I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to praise you for your goodness and for your working in my life. And that, I'm telling you, thanksgiving and praise, it puts things in motion to change your situation. I love that. Then you jump down to verse 26 through verse 31. They mount up to the heaven and they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. Why is their soul melted because of trouble? Because they are not thanking God for his goodness. They are not thanking God for his workings in their life. Therefore, their eyes are not on him. Their eyes are on themselves and their situation. And that's taken them deeper into trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. See that term, the wit's end, that didn't come from society. This, look at this. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He makes the storm a calm so the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he brings them unto their desired haven oh that men would praise the lord for his goodness for his wonderful works to the children of men see god doesn't he doesn't rebuke them for crying out man if you find yourself messed up and you're just you've been going a wrong way just cry out to the lord know that he has already delivered you. And he will see you through and walk you through into the place where you need to be. And it'll happen laced with praise. See, God's desire is that we live a lifestyle of thanksgiving. So the Jews, they're looking for a king to rescue them. They're looking for a king to rescue them from Roman captivity. In other words, have, has this ever been you? 
They're looking for a temporary solution. Their eyes are on, I don't like what I'm experiencing. God, you have to move. You have a temporary solution. But Jesus came a different way to bring a permanent solution. See, they thought their problem was Rome. Their problem was spiritual death. God always knows. You can trust him. He knows the foundation. Hallelujah. Man, pastor, what a Palm Sunday message. It's a message of freedom. You know, sometimes people say things like, I'd like to take credit for it, but it's not me. But I, to be honest with you, I've walked with the Lord. So I know I don't want to take credit for it because this is all him. The only thing about this message is that it's actually better than even what you're hearing. Wait till, if you have ears to hear, what God will do in your life with this message. See, when Jesus gave them what they wanted, the people gave him palms. This is what happens. But when Jesus was being who they needed, he was given thorns. Right? Pastor, I love you so much, but you better watch what you say, or I will leave this church. I won't even let the door hit me in the butt, and I will go where I want to go. I will heap up teachers that will itch my ears so that I feel good about myself. Okay. Man, I've went from Jesus Christ to the Antichrist in literally a few months. You know, people come to church, oh my gosh, you're like Jesus incarnate. Three months later, that guy's, a, that guy's just ridiculous. Jesus went from palms to thorns in seven days. Are you kidding me? Less than seven days. So I'm going to leave you with this. How do you walk in the peace and the rest of God? Because that's what he has for you. If fear is present, then unbelief will always manifest. But meditating in God's word always drives out unbelief. And always drives out fear. God doesn't want you to ever fear. Never. The word, the phrase fear not is over a hundred times in the Bible. The phrase about not being in fear is literally 365 times in the Bible. One for every day of our year. That's amazing. I think God wants us to be fear free. What do I mean? I meditate in God's word until the word of God on the inside of me gets so big that it, it literally eclipses the fear on the outside. And I walk free from it. Then, once that happens, so, so I meditate on the word, and, and the Holy Spirit opens the word of God, and revelation comes to my heart now. And I'm understanding the word. I'm gaining revelation knowledge. It's renewing my mind. The word of God eclipses the fear of whatever the circumstance is that's causing it on the outside. And then the peace of God now has access to rule in your heart and rule over your mind so that you can be at rest. That's why a lot of Christians, they've never been at rest. They're always trying to make something happen. They're always trying to figure something out. Man, I'm telling you, it's not worth it. I'm so glad I get over myself. I have to speak present tense because you know what? It's a daily thing. And the Holy Spirit helps me. What about you? Amen? Once the word of God eclipses, through meditating in the word, once it eclipses the fear of the circumstance that you're facing, and you're fully confident that what God said is going to happen. Now you cease from your own works and you rest. And then now the peace of God, it's just, it's mounting guard. You're, being, you're kept at rest by the peace. And when you enter God's rest, that is when he is able to work. He can't work before that because you won't, you won't give him anything. You're trying to work it out. And if you're carrying it, he can't carry it. 
He won't pull it out of your hands. God works overtime to protect your free will. But oh, if you'll put the word of God first place. The word is truth. That word will just eclipse the fear of whatever circumstance you're in or circumstances you're in. And then when that happens now, man, I'm telling you, the peace of God will come in, will mount guard over your heart and mind. It'll put you at rest. And now you let go. You hand it over to the Lord, this thing that you need to change. And you have complete confidence. What do you do? You literally thank God for his goodness. You thank God that he already has worked this thing out. And you call those things which be not as though they are. God is now able to work in your life. Palm Sunday is about God coming to you. Not coming in the way maybe you think, but he's coming in the perfect way to cast out fear from your life and to help you walk the Zoe life that Jesus provided for you. Amen?